Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody to the sixth episode of Animals to the Max. Wow, six episodes. Seriously can't believe it. This has uh, been such a new adventure for me and honestly it's something I seriously enjoy doing it. I hope that you enjoy listening to this podcast. This is uh, this is great. I mean, I've had so much fun, even in this six episodes, talking to people, to experts about their adventures while working with animals. Some people, we've talked about their careers, and so I really hope it's inspirational for all of you listening. Hope you are enjoying. Once again, this is a new ride for me. This is a new platform, and so like I said, uh, thank you so much for listening along the way. So today's guest, I'm very excited about. His name is Matthew Price. And so, folks, he works at one of the most famous zoos in the whole entire world. He's been working in the zoo world for over 18 years. And so this is an episode. If you want to be a zookeeper or you want to work with animals and you're trying to figure out how to break into this, I guess, this business, how to um, just kind of if you want any insight, this is the episode to listen to. He's fantastic. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Matthew Price. I am so excited you're doing this. First of all, I feel like a crazy fan because that's how we met. I uh, basically discovered your podcast on iTunes, Zookeeper Stories. And that's I reached out to you kind of through Twitter just to say I really enjoyed the episode. And then you asked me on your podcast and I asked you on mine. And that's kind of how we met. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was, I, I've only had a handful of people even like contact me about it at all, you know, other than people that I know. So just to hear someone see someone reach out to me of, of your stature, Corbin, was uh, oh, was very gosh. was very exciting to me. <laughs> I loved it. And you know, honestly, Matt, all I typed in was zookeeping on iTunes was well, zookeeping. So here's, here's how the podcast came about. So um, I also work in the fantasy football industry and there's a guy there named Matt Harmon who runs a podcast uh, called Backyard Banner. And uh, basically it's talking to people in the fantasy football industry about how they got their job because it's, you know, kind of a cool job to just talk about football all day, you know, do something that you love like that all day. Um, so he wanted to start a podcast talking to people in the industry about how they got into the field. So I was like, you know, it's kind of the same for zookeepers in some regard. When we're doing our keeper presentations, we always get the question almost every single day, how do you get to become a zookeeper? So I thought, you know, let's start this and, and see if we can, you know, really tell people some stories about how people did become zookeepers. So that's how I, I love it. Out. I love it, but I have one critique. Are you ready for it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. After you just helped me figure out all my technical issues, it's Anyway, uh, this, this is new for me too. Uh, yeah. But I have one critique because I never heard your story. Oh, and that's yeah. why I'm so excited to talk to you just on this podcast because not only, so first of all, just to introduce you, you are a lead keeper at one of the most famous zoos in the world. You work with polar bears and, uh, you know, different animals. You've been around the country at, you know, you've worked at many zoological facilities. And I think your story is so inspirational. And when I was listening to the podcast, I kept on going back, like looking through the feed thinking, okay, where's Matt's story? <laughs> the, the plan always was to do a, a me story episode. It just kind of never, never happened. So, uh, but no, it's exciting to be on here and to be able to tell it. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. So yeah. please, please do like, please tell me your start, where you grew up, your childhood and what made you pursue this, this, this career. Oh, man, uh, I, you know, I was always an animal person like most people that, that do this job. You know, we're, we, we've loved animals from, you know, basically the day, the day we were born, I guess. Uh, um, for me, uh, I knew I always kind of wanted to do something with animals. I wasn't sure. Uh, 
it was always very inspiring to go to SeaWorld when I was a kid and see the marine mammal trainers, you know, with the orcas and things like that. Um, so that was like really like, oh, wow, people can like actually do this for a living. So, you know, it kind of, you know, I volunteered at different uh, like animal shelters and stuff. I, uh, um, I had a couple of dogs of my own a couple of different times. I, I, I was always kind of like into the, in, in, into animals, you know, but, um, but I never really thought I would ever get to do it as a career. But then I went to college um, and they didn't have a zoology program, which I was a little bit bummed about. So I ended no, up no, doing no, no, really quick. Sorry, sorry to interrupt yeah, please. you. So, no, no, so, please. No, no, I'm sorry. But where, where did you grow up? Were you in San Diego? Oh, sorry. Uh, no, so, so I was, uh, so I was a, a, a Navy kid. So we moved around a lot. Uh, I moved around almost almost every other year or so up until I was about seventh grade in, in uh, Jacksonville, Florida was where I was born. Um, I actually moved to Australia for a couple of years when I was zero to two years old. So I don't remember anything about it, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, you know, so I grew up in the, in the Florida area and then I um, so going to the Jacksonville Zoo a lot. Uh, uh, Miami Zoo, we went to quite a bit when I lived down towards West Palm Beach and uh, after that, uh, I got my parents got divorced and we moved to Wisconsin, and it was kind of like a, a dead zone to me. No, no offense, Wisconsinites. <laughs> uh, it just it was not a very happy time in my life. Uh, um, so I kind of did a lot of like a lot of reading. Uh, you know, I was a, not necessarily in high school, but in like junior high and elementary school, I was a kid who would go to the library and sit down and read just a million animal books, you know, or science books or whatever. Um, I was way more into that kind of stuff than than like you know, novels or however you want to call it, like the Harry Potters and stuff. I like Harry Potter now, don't get me wrong. Uh, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I was way into science and just like accumulating all this knowledge and, and, and things. So um, I moved around a couple more times to Virginia, to San Diego, where I finished high school. And then I uh, got into Berkeley up in the Bay Area, and uh, uh, Cal. And uh, so there I, I wanted to major in zoology, but they didn't have one. So I instead pursued a, a biology degree. And that eventually became an environmental science degree with an em emphasis on like uh, migration patterns, population dynamics, uh, you know, kind of stuff like that. So I was always kind of loosely attached to it. And then right after school, uh, right after college, I got two job offers. I got one to go teach. Uh, summer camp at the San Francisco Zoo and I got another one to go like write environmental impact statements and stuff for an environmental consulting firm and I was like you know I have my whole life to go do an adult boring job like yeah I was gonna current. say Matt that sounds so yeah. boring like, so I, I, just lost me. I was like okay pick yeah. number one please <laughs> pick number one yeah so I did I went I taught uh, I taught um, summer camp to, to a bunch of kids from kindergarten all the way up through like middle school that kind of thing and it was a blast. And then at the end of that, they actually have a position at the San Francisco Zoo, um, a year-long internship for being basically to start to be a keeper, a keeper internship in the children's zoo there. So I applied for that and got that. And then it just kind of like snowballed from there. Um, I've worked at the San Francisco Zoo for several years. I worked at Coyote Point Museum in San Mateo, which is now called Curiosity, I believe. Uh, then I, uh, I actually took a, a, about a year and a half off to do an environmental chemistry job, which I hated. Uh, mm -hmm. And then came back to it. I went and got a job at Disney's Animal Kingdom in Florida. And worked what? there for yeah, I worked there for three years, two thousand five to two thousand eight. And there, um, they don't the show. It wasn't. It doesn't actually exist anymore. But it, the show was the Pocahontas and her Forest Friends show. So we took care of North American animals. And the show was actually really cool. Uh, we would send animals out on stage to do their behavior, and then they would run back to the keeper. So there was never any trainers or keepers on stage. It was just the oh, animals. Oh, good. I was going to say, like, please tell me you weren't Captain John. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, there was. We, yeah, we had a professional actress that played Pocahontas and, you know, the puppeteer that operated the, the puppets. Uh, but the animals were like the stars of the show. They went out and did their thing, and uh, we worked on training those behaviors on stage beforehand, obviously.
So uh, there's not a whole lot of shows out there like that. I don't think where there are, are, are no trainers on stage. It's just the animals out and doing their doing their prompts and, and then you know moseying on, on back to us. So that was really fun. I learned you know most of my training skills uh, during that that time. And I decided I didn't really like Florida anymore, so I moved to Seattle, Washington, to work at Woodland Park Zoo for about a year and a half, about almost a little bit more than actually about almost two years, a little bit more than two years. And that's where I met your friend Val, who I think was on episode two. And yes. uh, Valerie is fantastic. She's one of my favorite people. Uh, we have, yeah, she's she's so great. I I regret we have we have lost a little bit of contact since I moved down to San Diego. And uh, she's moved on back to Boise, but uh, we we actually reconnected thanks to your episodes. So yeah, I was going to say I would like that. to take full credit for that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> she, yeah. Well, she and she mentioned your podcast. It's yeah, such that's a so cool. I didn't even know she knew I had one. So I, I was that was amazing. So yeah, gosh. Okay, so you so you've been everywhere. So you've so how long have you worked? I'm trying to do the math. I mean, you've worked in this field for many many years. Yeah, this is the eight, eight, uh, this is coming up on my 18th year. My first keeper job was in 2001. So 18th year. Yeah, oh yeah I, this is my. I've been at four four zoos and, and a museum. So I've 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 seen how lots of different organizations do things and have been able to kind of like pull the best parts of each one and and kind of add them to my skill set. You know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's, so take us back. So I am a young person wanting to be a zookeeper. You have worked at some great facilities. I mean, some fantastic facilities. So take us to your first job. So San Francisco Zoo, um, which animals are you working with? I, you know, what, which animals did you want to work with and kind of go from there or where you were? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So I, I started in the children's zoo area, which uh, encompasses m most children's zoos, if you're familiar with them, have, you know, a, a pretty wide variety of animals, you know, nothing like too exotic, but, you know, a decent variety. So, you know, I, there was everything from the livestock animals like the goats and the sheep, cows. Uh, we had a, a beautiful American cream draft horse, um, you know, snakes and lizards. Uh, there, there's uh, uh, birds of prey, uh, squirrel monkeys, duck pond, uh, snowy owls, uh, deer, turkey, just all, all kinds of uh, uh, meerkat and prairie dogs. So just all kinds of, mm -hmm. of crazy stuff. Now, is that where like most people get set? Okay, now, first of all, I just want to let you know, I always wanted to be a zookeeper. I've been obsessed with zoos and aquariums ever since I was a kid. I never really, I, I guess once I got my first start in television, working with yeah. animals on TV, I thought, okay, this is the path that I would want to pursue. But I almost like want to live through you because this is what I, I, I really wanted to do. And so... I don't know. I mean, I, I volunteered at several zoos and I've worked with numerous zoos before on television, but I never really got that crazy, you know, your experience. And so just so please just mind my questions. My oh, no, very, please. Absolutely. My, my very beginner questions. But so is that normally where they'll send you, let's say, at a zoo to the children's zoo? Is that where you get your start? Then you move your way up the tier? Is that not, nece not necessarily. It's different at every okay. zoo. It, it, it worked that way out for me because that's just where that that internship was. Uh, so that, that, that zoo actually had several internships in that area. There was another area that was kind of part of the children's zoo, but diff, but separate called the animal resource center. And they're mm -hmm. the groups that did a lot of the animal presentations that you see at zoos, whether it's walking around with a raptor on your glove or, uh, you know, taking animals to children hospitals, things like that. So there was that part too. There was an intern for both areas. And then there was also an insect zoo. Uh, within the children's zoo and we had an intern for that too. So it's just kind of where I got my start um, You know, they're there. I mean, I'm sure we'll get there But there are a lot lots of paths into the field and they don't not they don't always start in a, in a children's zoo kind of setting 
Mm-hmm. And that's why I love I love your message on your podcast. Everyone, please listen to it, Zookeeper Stories, because every I mean, you just tell people like, listen, like just literally apply for everything, like not even if it's a field yep. that you want to be in. Especially when you're first starting out, you know, like I I consider myself very lucky. Um, You know, I basically got the first zookeeping job I applied for now. It was an internship, right? But I I still got it. And and we, if you listen to some of the zookeeper story episodes, I have people on there. Um, A young lady named like Ashley Roberts, she worked in the buildings and grounds department for eight or nine years before she even got her start as a zookeeper. Just, you know, she was in, she was in there doing janitorial services for that long just because she wanted to be a zookeeper. So, you know, there, there are definitely a, a million different paths into this career. And, and I think I probably got really lucky and got one of the easiest. Dude, you got so lucky. I, I mean, did. you got so lucky. I look Ashley's episode. That's her name. Like correct. Like janitorial. And then she worked her way up. And then I just, it's so inspirational. I mean, it's so inspirational. I just, yeah. I mean, I talked to, I don't know if you listened to Chrissy. I had a senior um, aquarist on, I think a couple weeks ago, episode four. And she said she sent out like 40 applications. I mean, yeah. she applied for everything. She wanted to work with marine animals and she applied to be like a reptile keeper. And I'm like, what? She- <laughs> yeah, in, in the beginning, you basically take, I mean, and really, it, it's really difficult to get a specific job because like, even if I was to go and apply somewhere else, like for a specific position, like, you know, there's, there's one or two of those at that entire zoo, you know, like it's there, it's so competitive that, uh, that, you know, if you think about it, my buddy and I were at a football game, uh, last year and we were sitting up there. He's, he's a lion keeper. And at the time I was primarily taking care of polar bears. And he said to me, you know, out of the 50,000 people or whatever in the stadium, you're probably the only one that takes care of polar bears. And I'm the only one that takes care of lions. And that's true. Uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a small world like that, but but it's also a smaller zoo world because there are so many people that want to do those jobs. There's so few and few and far between that even somebody that's a very seasoned keeper doesn't necessarily get to pick what they want to pick. Uh, you know, you could apply for a generic hoofstock position. You could be working anything from like goats to, to talkins. you know, you could apply for a carnivore position and be working anything from like a, you know, like a ferret to, to a lion or a polar bear, you know? So it's, uh, it, it's very difficult to, to get the specific position that you want. I'll just say that there are ways once you're in your foot's in the door to kind of move around and it's easier to do that way than to, to really compete for that one spot with, you know, hundreds of other people. Yeah. So I, I mean, wouldn't you say, so someone, let's say you want a zookeeping job, let's say in your local town, this and that, wouldn't you say, I mean, I would say volunteering is probably the best thing to do, right? To, to, oh. to get in and then. Absolutely. And that's one of the first things that I tell people is, you know, if you think you want to do this as a, as a career, try to do some volunteering place. Some, some zoos don't offer volunteering in animal, um, you know, animal areas specifically with animals. But even if there's not that, you can either get your start in like a, an, like an animal shelter, like even if it's just a dog and cat rescue or something. But there are also other rehab facilities in almost every area of the country. Like where I live, there's a place, a wonderful place called uh, Lions, Tigers, and Bears. Um, and they're not a zoo or really uh, necessarily an AZA accredited facility, but it's a fantastic place to go and, and see if you like the work because um, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things that the public sees is us doing keeper talks and, and, and interacting with a, with a polar bear or whatever it is, you know, and that's really like 15, 20, maybe half an hour if we're lucky out of our day. And the rest of the day is really hard. <laughs> it's really, it's hard on your body. It's hard on, on your social life. It's hard on, on, uh, you know, really every part of your life. So it's something that you really, really have to love to, to stick with it. 
I agree. Cause I'll get people when, when I do live appearances or do TV, everyone's like, Oh, you have the best job in the world, but no one sees 95% yeah. of my time is cleaning up crap. I yeah, mean, I'm, yeah. <laughs> literally, literally we pick more scoopers. That's yeah. I mean, it is, you know, and, and it's a necessary evil part of the job. It's not, I mean, there, I, I don't get me wrong. I do actually know some keepers who it is their favorite part of the job. They're weird. I don't know what that's all about. Uh, the cleaning yeah. aspect of it, but you know, it's just a necessary part of the job. It's like cleaning up after your pets at home, except for you have to do it uh, on a much larger scale. And then you know the the fun stuff comes the training the the interaction with your coworkers the 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 cooperation on building enrichment projects and stuff like that but the bulk of the job is you have to be willing to deal with lots of stinky not so pleasant uh, things, uh, uh, bodily fluids, uh, you know, uh, you, you help participate with research projects where you have to collect urine and fecal samples and things mm -hmm. like that. Whenever you ship an animal out or in or bring an animal in, you've got to take oh. fecal samples and, and all this stuff. So you know about that quarantine procedures. Yes. It's a dirty job, man. It could be okay, on that. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just saying it could be on that uh, dirty job show. You know, I don't know if there ever was an episode of that, but uh, with zookeepers, but there probably should be. There was. I think they sent Mike Rowe to the Adventure Aquarium. We have a great. Uh, okay. They're great up there, up in Camden, um, New Jersey. And he, but you know, he just goes in and does, you know, yeah, yeah. stuff. Yeah, they did, a great they, show. They did the, yeah, great show. So I have a question off topic, but let's just have some fun. What yeah. was the stinkiest fecal sample? Oh I will gosh. tell you mine, and I will tell you mine because I did. I worked at a. I, I didn't work, but I kind of volunteered alongside a vet at our at our local zoo for many years. The stinkiest fecal sample I ever smelled was a snow leopard. I believe that carnivore carnivore feces in general is 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 pretty gross. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, the polar bears is probably not the right answer, um, but they're they're it's it's really disgusting. It's like I, I can't even describe it to you. It's just it's not fun. <laughs> yeah. So um, there's so there's not one like one. Uh, I think I would say uh, lemur was pretty bad. Um, oh, okay. And uh, hippos is, are, are pretty bad, but I don't know if it's necessarily, I mean, the smell is bad too, but it's also the fact that if you aren't, aren't aware of how a hippo defecates, they use their little tail as a windshield wiper and it goes over <laughs> the walls, the ceilings, the floors. So in the hippo barn, when you're cleaning out the hippo barn, you're not just hosing off the floor, you're hosing off every surface in that barn. I have, I have some great friends in, um, in uh, Toledo and they, they, have, they have a great hippo exhibit. They were so mad because they had just you know completely cleaned the barn and sure enough right. like 10 minutes later just everywhere and i mean all over the window so the public comes by and you know the public like oh that's so gross but the people An don't, you know. an another one that might be a little bit underrated is the as the opossum we have we had one at disney named butters who liked to finger paint with with his feces and that was really? that, that was a lot of fun so <laughs> okay yeah. Oh my God. Okay. That's so interesting. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So back on, so I guess back on track, whatever. This is how my podcast have been going. Oh, oh, please. But, <laughs> so you're at the San Francisco, do, uh, the San Francisco zoo. You're in the children's area. Do you work with any other animals like outside of that department? Um, I think I did a few like days here and there outside of the department, uh, but the bulk of my work was primarily there. But, you know, I, I, I started out as someone that would kind of like, was like a what we call them relief keepers uh, in the industry, where you know there's a five day generally there's a five day primary keeper, and then there's a person who covers that per, that the primaries weekends, and they're the relief keepers. So I did a lot of that filling in for like people on vacation time stuff. But then I actually got to work my own string for about three months, and uh, it was it was just so much fun. There was such a wide variety. Uh, I, I was the string where I took care of uh, uh, the snowy owls, uh, the squirrel monkeys. Um, a duck pond, a San Francisco garter snake, just beautiful, very rare, rare snake, mm. uh, um, a bunch of other stuff. So it's like just the variety that I got in the children's, it was a pretty good 
uh, introduction. And, I, and honestly, it, it until recently when I've kind of learned that bears are kind of my thing, uh, I was kind of a generalist. Like I never really specialized. A lot of zookeepers will like if you go become an elephant keeper, you're generally just taking care of elephants, and and you kind of specialize in that. Similar for uh, great ape keepers and things like that. But I always kind of remained a generalist because I like working with with everything. Um, but some zoos are are very compartmentalized, meaning like the bird department only works birds, the mammal department only works mammals, the reptiles only work reptiles, and and those are unfortunate because like like I love birds, but I don't want to just be <laughs> I just just I don't want to only work with birds. You know, I think I would go a little bit crazy if I didn't have something uh, you know something with fur the, that uh, was a little bit friendlier than maybe a bird. Um, but uh, yeah, so like that just gave me the opportunity to work with a lot of different stuff, even within the children's zoo setting. That is, and that's so weird to me because I, I, because I basically, I'm, you know, from Boise, Idaho, so we had a very tiny zoo, yeah. and so I didn't realize after venturing out and meeting people like you or you know, you know, friends from other big zoos across the nation, it's very segregated. I had no idea. I mean, my zoo is probably the size of your zoo's elephant exhibit. Actually, it is. It's the size <laughs> of your elephant exhibit is my yeah. zoo, and I'm not cutting it down. I'm just saying we just have a tiny little zoo, and so. I didn't realize it is very segregated. I mean, I just, you know, just it's yeah, and it's it's a shame because I think like I would love to work raptors again. I like that's some of my favorite times zookeeping was when I got to work with you know, have a golden eagle and fly a golden eagle on my glove to another glove or or, or what have you. So it, it's it stinks, but you know, I, I I could like I said I couldn't just be a bird keeper or if I was just a reptile keeper, don't get me wrong, I know reptiles, I know reptiles is is your first love, Corbin. Uh, oh, yeah. But if I had to only take care of reptiles, I don't know. I don't know if I could do it. Yeah. I mean, and that's and that's something, too. Like, I, I think you discover new passions, I, I guess, you know, as you move through the field. Because I started out with reptiles, but now that's uh, that's not my main focus. It's I work with a variety of different animals. And I think that's something you would say probably in, in the zoological field you would discover. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Like I said, I like my bear. I know, I know now after, after like 13 or 14 years in the field that bears are my thing. And, and, and that's, that's what kind of like all I want to do now is work with bears. And, and don't get me wrong. I still like it when the days where I work with the other animals, but, but bears are kind of, kind of, kind of my jam, if you will. Oh man, I just can't even believe I, I'm sorry. I feel so starstruck. I mean, I'm oh, being serious. Man. No, I'm, I, I'm being, I'm just being so honest with you. And I, like I said, I've met a lot of celebrities. I've met Tyra Banks, but I'm almost just as happy to see you. Although Tyra, although Tyra didn't have a beard. So I, yeah, well, she's, a, she's a little cuter than I am. Yeah. I was going to say, but that is so cool. Like every day you get to work with these animals. I mean, I just, Oh my God, that's so awesome. Okay. So San Francisco zoo from San Francisco, where do you go? Uh, well, from there I went while I, while I worked at San Francisco, San Francisco Zoo. I also concurrently worked at uh, uh, the like it was the, the Coyote Point Museum at the time. Now it's Curiosity, so a small museum in San Mateo that had a lot of raptors and small mammals. Um, so I kind of worked there at the same time. We had uh, I don't know raptors and small mammals, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. turkey vultures and corvids and and rat. We had this huge raccoon, this twenty-five pound raccoon, ridiculous, <laughs> like the biggest raccoon I've ever seen in my life. Uh, he was amazing. Um, kestrels, uh, bobcats, burrowing owls, uh, just a wide variety of stuff. So that place was really fun too. Um, and then in between there, um, you know, my zookeeping is 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 kind of tough sometimes, especially if you're at the bottom. This is a very seniority based industry, so. Um, I've, I've kind of been in the wrong, wrong place at the wrong time, I guess, a couple of times in my career, which is why I've been, I think one of the reasons why I've been at so many zoos. So at San Francisco zoo was transitioning between a, a city owned zoo and, and into a, a private zoo at the time. And, and people that were younger on the, on the scale that kind of got, 
uh, pushed down a little bit, lost their hours, that kind of thing. So I had to become like a kind of like an on-call as needed keeper for a while. And uh, San Francisco, <laughs> it is not the cheapest city. In fact, I think it is the currently the, the most expensive city to live in in the country. So that, that was not that was a very difficult time making uh, my first zoo job was as an intern was making seven dollars and fifty cents an hour. So uh, oh how did you, do you can it? Even imagine that uh, a lot of ramen, a lot of uh, I lived in the East Bay. So I took a, a lot of public transportation, that kind of thing. Um, uh, but anyway, so eventually it just became clear that I, I couldn't support myself at that point. So I actually quit for a little bit, quit the field for a little bit and and uh, uh, was in, did the environmental chemistry thing. But uh, after that, after a while, I got I was like, I can't do this anymore. I've got to figure out a way to get back in, um, continued to kind of work part time at the museum as I was able to. So I was able to kind of use that to get into uh, uh, at D Disney. I went down there for an interview. I was like, they like the, the interview. At Disney is ridiculous. Like they they put me up in like the nicest room at the Animal Kingdom Lodge. Like I open oh. my my balcony in the morning uh, to have coffee or whatever, and there's a giraffe outside my window. You know, it's just oh my they, gosh, they, are you they, serious? They, they do it right when you get interviewed at Disney. I, I I'd interview with like seven different managers on like a bunch of different teams. Um, but it was fantastic. So, um, so yeah, I was able to somehow convince them that I was I was good enough to work there um, and work there with uh, with all those show animals. And that's that's a that's a tough gig. I mean, that's it a is. hard gig to get. The Disney's Animal Kingdom. I think it's one of the most impressive facilities I've ever seen. Yeah, it's it's it, the the night. The really nice thing about working at Disney is uh, that you know they have more money than God, so you can basically <laughs> have whatever you want. You can basically have whatever you want for your animals. You ask for it and, and you get it. Now you're not allowed to do things like something like like I can't change a light bulb there. I've got to call an electrician to change a light bulb. But, oh, but you know for. For, okay. But for any, if I, I say, hey, I want uh, uh, this new scratching post for for the bobcat or whatever, and it shows up the next day, that kind of thing. So like that part oh, of the job was really fantastic at Disney. Okay, and that's interesting. So for some weird reason, I don't know if you if you've ever felt like this. Ever since I was a kid, I've always been interested into the behind the scenes aspect mm -hmm. of the zoological world, and. I actually have a book. I feel like such a nerd of like the behind the scenes. It's like this big that I bought it at Disney's Animal Kingdom and it is insane. So please tell everyone who's a nerd like me the behind the scenes stuff. I know that the acacia trees really aren't acacia trees. I know that there's a big, uh, what, a big moat separating the lions and the animals. Like, can you go into that kind of stuff? Oh yeah, for sure. So like when you go out on the safari, uh, I didn't work out in the safari area, but uh, I did do a couple tours out there and there's, there's very, very deep moats. Disney is, 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 are the experts at hiding, uh, uh, I guess, unsightly features like moats and things like that mesh, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of open air exhibits too, but Disney does a fantastic job with that. Um, I, I worked in the, again, I worked with the, the show animals, so there wasn't a ton of secrets really. I mean, the backstage oh, okay. area has like the puppeteers and stuff. I can tell you this, uh, uh, the Pocahontas job is a sweet job. Like if you are a, are a good singer and you can pull off the Pocahontas job, you work about 15 <laughs> minutes out of every hour. You go out there and sing your show and then you go hang out in the green room for 45 minutes and then you do that three more times and go home. So <laughs> fantastic gig. I wish I was, uh, you know, a five foot seven uh, uh, dark, dark lady with a very beautiful voice so I could do that job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, oh but no, there, there was, there was some secret stuff like you know the, the like there's, there's tunnels everywhere underneath the facilities. I never went in a whole lot Have of you them. Been down there, a, co a couple of them that that are like pass throughs for 
um, you know, getting to your work location faster. So a couple of those, but it's like, it's very highly secure. You have ID swipe cards and fobs to get in okay. everywhere. And they, they tell you where you're allowed to go and not. So, uh, just a couple of those through like, like from the food service areas, like through to my, to my work mm -hmm. areas. Um, but it, again, you like if you're, if you're into like the behind the scenes stuff in terms of like the way the facilities works, I mean, again, like hydraulics, uh, computer control, everything like the, the best of the best in terms of like shifting doors and, and camera systems and, and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, definitely a step up above your average zoo in, the, in that regard. So, but Matt, I heard something, there's a rumor around. No, but I heard a long time ago. So in the open Savannah exhibit, correct? Is that what you guys called mm -hmm. it? Or the Kilimanjaro uh, Safari they're, they're, exhibit? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Mm -hmm. It's been a while. Um, I think it's all that. Yeah, but I heard that each animal, because they have to go inside at night, each animal responds to a different call or different. Is that is that true? I, I think that I think that is true. Uh, but not all animals come in, come inside. I know that for a fact that not oh, okay. all animals come inside. Okay. Some of them spend 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 it out there on the savanna. There's shelters and stuff out there. Um, there's mm -hmm. there's heated areas for them to go if it, when it's cold. Um, mm -hmm. so, so a lot of animals do come into the barns and 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 uh, and I've definitely done that before where we're pulling different animals off of savanna exhibits with different cues, whether it be different sounds or um, uh, visual cues or audio cues or something like that. Uh, we're actually, I'm actually working with, uh, this is kind of a side story. So, uh, you want me to, okay. so this is kind of a side story, but I'm oh, working yeah. with a pair of, of mountain lions now that, uh, we are trying to, when we built the mountain lion exhibit, we built this, these PVC tubing throughout the rock work and, and, uh, the goal is to be able to pump certain smells out there and to be able to associate those smells with a certain behavior. So we're using, we're trying to use scents that don't mean anything to mountain lions. Like mountain lions don't care about lemons, right? They don't care about citrus. So we're pairing a, a smell that they wouldn't ordinarily care with, with their food item or a, a preferred food item. So instead of having to go out there and yell at the cat to wake up and come inside or jingle a bell at them or whatever, we just turn on this fan with this, with this concentrate and it pumps it through the exhibit. And the idea is that they smell uh, the lemon scent or whatever smell we're using and they say, okay, that means I'm time to come in. And you know, they're, they're big carnivores. So they do whatever they want, whenever they want, you can't really make them do anything. We have a pretty, pretty high success rate with it. Oh my God. See, I never even knew that. Like only if the public would know, like the majority would know that the, the, just the time and the innovation of what is going on right now. I had no it's, idea. I've never yeah, heard that in my life. It's a, it's a very unique profession in that you have to be, you have to be willing to do the grunt work like we talked about all the gross stuff right but you also have to be kind of a little bit book smart too it's not like you can just it's not just like a manual labor job there is a, a very large manual labor portion of the job but the the thinking part of it is really like what has kept me in it you know i'm, I'm at the point where i've been in it I've, I've done a lot and i've seen a lot and, and not to say that i'm jaded and don't think that everything i do is cool anymore but now it's more like okay i, I know how to take care of these animals how, how can i you know, elevate their welfare and be able to challenge them both mentally and physically and not just throw food at them and, and, and teach them things and have, have them create a better life for them. You know, not just something, and you know, we see a lot of animals that sometimes pace in zoos because they're bored or aren't having some kind of needs met. So how do we, how do we meet the needs of these animals in, in, a, in a captive setting that, that otherwise, you know, where are they going to go? So you have to figure out how to take good care of them where they are now. What are your thoughts about an incident uh, you know, for instance, we have something that happens, I believe it was in 2007, where we have a tiger escaped and it killed a teenage boy along with it injured, I think his brother or something like that. What are your thoughts about something like that? I mean, I mean, it's obviously horrible. And 
don't get me wrong. I, I I think that the zoo was. I mean, they they were they were in the wrong a little bit. I, I I mean, you have to say that because they're not. They weren't in the 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 wall height was not in AZA compliance. And whether that's the zoo's fault, whether it's the keeper's fault, whether it's the AZA organization's fault for not recognizing that when when they when they were get, going through their accreditation um, inspections and things like that, you know, it's somebody's fault that that happened. However, you know those kids shouldn't have been in the zoo. They shouldn't have been hanging their leads over a tiger exhibit, that kind of thing. I've actually yelled at people before, Matt. I mean, like, not, not yell, but I've been like, I've, I hate when people taunt animals in zoos. Like oh, I, God, you know, I, I don't yell at people, but I'll be like, listen, the lions aren't going to move. Like, you know, people just yelling or, and from reports, you know, visitors said these kids were taunting these animals, you know, yelling at them. They found like some vodka and some marijuana in their vehicle. I mean, so like I could just, I'm picturing the situation and I'm just like, okay, and, and, and the like, San Francisco Zoo, it, it I don't know if they still have it, but when I was there from 2001 to 2005-ish, um, they had a every, I think it was like the first Wednesday of every month or something. The first, first something of every month was a free day. And let me tell you, the free days were the absolute worst day for keepers, the worst day for animals. I caught people throwing... Uh, uh, you know, those little snap pop things that you throw on the ground, they bang, throwing those at the meerkats and prairie dogs, like oh throwing, them, throwing them at them. I caught adults, adults with their children on their shoulders, running around chasing goats and sheep in the, in the, in the thing, just stuff, just like ridiculous Ooh. things. Uh, this is a really good story too. We had a, um, we had a llama there named, uh, named Mary. Uh, and she, she sometimes spit as llamas do, but usually you deserved it if you got spit on by Mary. Um, and this guy like <laughs> just, just going up to him and yelling and screaming and, 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 you know, come on, llama spit and antagonizes him. Like, dude, you don't want, you don't realize that this is not just saliva. It is bile, nasty, chewed up stomach acids. It is not going to be fun for you. And he just keeps doing it. He takes one right in the face. And then he keeps doing it and he takes like three more shots in the face. That was one of my favorite, <laughs> favorite days in the San Francisco Children's Zoo, let me tell you. So like the, sometimes they get there, they, 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 get, they get back at those, those unruly guests. But yeah, uh, uh, in terms of the lion, the tiger situation, horrible thing. The kids shouldn't have been like, like where the, where, I mean, there's, there's so many different ways you can point fingers. But in all of these cases, you know, zoos mm -hmm. have protocols in place. There are certain species that are dispatched at will, which means that the, the, um, security department and the firearms team, you know, if it's a situation where a person is going to get hurt, then they have the ability to, to dispatch at will. There's also animals on the dispatch with permission list where that are a little bit less dangerous, where they have to call and get permission from animal supervisors and things like mm -hmm. that. So like in the case of Harambe, which, you know, is another horrible incident, you know, that's, that's why it was. Gorillas are usually on a, on a, on a institution's dispatch at will thing. And if there's a human life at stake, the animal unfortunately is going to lose every time. Man, that's just that, that was just a horrible situation. I think you know what's so crazy? I loved what Jeff Corwin came out and said. Yeah. They obviously, you know, Jeff Corwin came out and he said, you know, this is a great example. Pay attention when you're at a zoo, get off your social media, get off your phone, pay attention with your kids, enjoy the wildlife. I mean, because that's what happened. Someone wasn't paying attention, the parent, and then all of a sudden we end up with this situation and then it this well, huge outcry. Well, even even sometimes it is the parents paying attention. Like for example, I think it I think it was the P Pittsburgh Zoo or some zoo in Pennsylvania several years ago where the mom was holding the baby up above the the wild dog exhibit and like lost lost hold of it and it fell in and guess what happened to that baby? It did not make it. Uh, oh, there was another. There's, there's there's incidents every day at zoos where people will 
will put their will take their whole strollers and put them on the railing above like tiger modes or something so that the kid in the stroller can see not realizing that you could be making the biggest mistake of your life you know so I, I've often wanted to do an episode of Zookeeper Stories where we just run through all the dumb things that guests do and say, and be and kind of like I make a guide of a guide for the regular person of how to go to a zoo and not knock on glass and and yell at animals and and realize that this is the animal's home. You know, how would you like it if I ran into your house and yelled and screamed and knocked on your glass? You know, this is this is their home. It's not mm -hmm. just purely there for your entertainment. You know. Yeah, I agree. That would be great. Please do. I mean, seriously, please do. I okay. So, can you tell me some of your favorite comments? Like, I there was one that. So, my my buddy Matt, he was a herpetologist at the St. Louis Zoo for over a decade. So he worked there, and he <laughs> would get so baggage. You have people, and by the way, St. Louis, I'm sure you know it is a free zoo. So just yeah. you can imagine, just They're get tough. a variety of different people. Yeah, coming through those gates, and you know, it's a beautiful zoo. It got voted like the number one zoo this year by some whatever magazine. They do great work, out, but they do great work with uh, Speaks Gazelles. We have a partnership with with their Speaks Gazelle program. Oh, good. Okay, and he yeah. actually worked in the uh, the hoofstock department nice. for a while. But he would he would hate when people would go up and they would tell the kids like, "Listen, kids, this is why you get a college education. You could be doing what this guy does." Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh yeah. I I have definitely guess are. Like they think they think they're the first ones to make every zookeeper joke. I, I cannot tell you how often working the bear string where where uh, a guest will say, "Oh, look, it's the human exhibit," or "Look, hey, it's a bearded San Diegan," or "Hey, look, it's the Homo sapien <laughs> exhibit," and it's just. Like you get to, like I, I was cleaning the otter pool an otter pool a, a, a few weeks ago and I wanted to count to see how many how many groups of people in a row would would come and make a similar joke and I counted ten in a row ten separate groups that came by while I was cleaning this otter pool came by and at some point you just have to like I just try to t tune it out and not even acknowledge it because. Like how many times can I laugh at your joke? You think you're the first one, but I've literally, I've been doing this. I hear it almost every single day and I've been doing this for 18 years. So, uh, so you do the math, you know, we need them because they, 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 they they keep zoos alive and, and we're, we're, that's why we exist is to educate them. But at the same time, there are some people that are just, you know, they're, they're not there for that. So no, not at all. And I think it's all about education. Some people, you just can't get past that. But I like, I remember talking to my buddy, Matt, he loved the winter months. I mean, January, February, like that is the time oh my God, yeah. <laughs> that he uh -huh. loved. Yeah. And those North and those cold zoos, yeah. those cold months. Yeah. Those are fantastic. So, uh, so yes. we don't, we don't yes. have them as much at, at my current zoo, but, uh, uh, the mostly every day is, is busy here, but uh, you know, there are some quiet days when it's raining out and and everybody Oh, it's raining. It's so sorry You had to be at work when it's raining and you have to work outside. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> it's 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 totally fine We got so much work done today <laughs> Oh, It's awesome. Oh, I, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. Okay, so you go from the okay. So back on track. We're supposed to talk about um, this. is so interesting to me. So from San Francisco, then you went to a museum, which is now the Odyssey. I'm sorry, I forgot the name. Curie Odyssey, I think. Like it's it's kind of oh, a terrible name. Awesome. No offense, Nikki and Eugene, if you're still working there. But Curie Odyssey, like yeah. like Curie, and then the word Odyssey. It's kind of terrible, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I didn't remember and you've said it three times. Yeah. And then, okay. And then, so animal kingdom, you're starting in the Pocahontas show. And then after that, where do you go from animal kingdom? So at that point I just, I was, well, okay. So actually there's another side story in here. Um, at the time I was, when I left San Francisco, I was dating uh, a girl and 
at the time she was supposed to come out with me to, to, to Orlando after um, she was she was in a master's program, San Francisco State. And after she, she had like a few months left or whatever it was. And so she was supposed to kind of move out with me after that. And uh, it didn't end up staying a relationship. Um, so I was in this uh, this apartment that I couldn't afford because that it was a two person apartment for two salaries and not one person. And and, and also uh, as, as great as Disney is, do not necessarily pay their zookeepers uh, the best salary. So I actually got to a point where I was having to like almost like when it was right outside of school again, where I was having to put groceries on the credit card every month and just okay, you know, okay. go Okay, mind you, really quick, please tell people, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just, no. some people, can you tell someone, like, some people who, like, want to get into working with animals and think it's great money, like, can we talk about that really quick? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's it's not. <laughs> yeah, so. uh, I, I, I work at one of the highest paying zoos in the country, and it's, it's not even really, uh, like, we don't even meet. My wife is also a teacher, so you know, two really millionaire jobs there, yeah, right? Super and, and teacher. So, uh, and, you know, together we don't even really kind of. I think we just barely graze like the median income for for the for the county or whatever. So it is it is definitely not. And if you're working at a smaller zoo like in the Midwest or or even in anywhere in, in most places in Florida, I mean, if you're if you're comparing zoos in Florida and their pay, like Disney's pay is very competitive with zoos within Florida. But uh, we're I mean, we're talking. Okay, so I has made seven fifty an hour as an intern at San Francisco. When I left San Francisco, I was making $17 an hour. When I went to Disney, I jumped all the way down to eleven fifty an hour. Oh my God. And then once you cut brutal. out the taxes. And yeah. So like, oh, it's, it's just impossible. So like, it's something that you, I mean, you really, you really have to love it. Like, <laughs> like you have, it's one of those jobs that you don't care about how much you make, you know, it's your kind of your life. And I, I, I this is another, I'm, I'm sorry. I was be talking about Dude, some please, go. Side stories. So Do I it. also, I also interviewed at, um, kind of, I don't remember where it fell somewhere in between San Francisco and Disney. I applied at, uh, Marine world Vallejo and it was a job that was basically the same pay as when I was an intern, but I already had four years of experience and uh, it was for, a, for an orca job. And I don't remember the name of the orca, but she came in with a very, she was a new one and they were trying to hire like kind of apprentice trainers, um, to work with this new orca that was coming in from France or something. And she had this rap sheet of like, lots of things of like a very dangerous incidents with keepers basically oh. and i decided i decided that working for seven dollars and fifty cents was probably not worth my life uh, especially oh. when i was gonna have to have a second job um so i like talked to some other dolphin trainers and stuff there like during the interview process uh, kind of like mm -hmm. afterwards kind of like you know okay now let's actually talk about the job we've done the interview questions can we talk about the actual job and they were telling me things like they have second and third jobs and that, that was something like as much as I love this job and, and, and know that I'm never going to be a millionaire doing it, like my personal time is also very valuable to me. And I just, I can't work two, three, four jobs to just to make ends meet. So, no. um, so it's just, it's, it's really tough. You know, you have to be okay with this. is uh, So my, here's a, here's a perspective for you. So I, right out of college, like I said, I started making seven fifty an hour, a buddy of mine who's in the tech field, uh, his first job, $70,000 a year. So, uh, yeah, very different, very, very different lifestyle. Um, I mean, you will get there to a, to a zoo that, that does pay well if you have the mobility factor and you're, and you want to work for, for a larger institution, but then there are pros and cons with that too. You know, I, I, I really miss working at a smaller zoo because 
in some regards, you can do a lot more. There's a lot, there's less red tape. There's less levels of management. There's well, I mean, uh, well, I mean, I mean smaller like zoo that, though. Are so. you talking San Francisco? Like what? What well, smaller zoo? Well, Woodland Park is I would consider like a medium oh, sorry, sorry. zoo. Yeah, okay, sorry. We, I guess we hadn't got there yet in the story. Yeah, yeah, but, sorry. yeah. So sorry. after Disney, I went to Woodland Park Zoo in Seattle, which you know it's not a small, small, small zoo. Like maybe, I might, I've never been to Zoo Boise, unfortunately. But mm -hmm. as you described it, maybe not that small, but you know smaller. Like you know, acres, have, yeah, 10 or thirteen. Okay, yeah, it's a little bit bigger than that, I think. <laughs> uh, uh, but you know, there, there's just different, just different, different styles of doing things. Like at a bigger zoo, like for Disney, for for example, that's a gigantic company that everything that anyone does reflects on that company. So they have to be very conservative with their policies. Um, you know, there's there's a bunch more jobs there. Like there's uh, like you know at some zoos you're doing everything. You're doing the nutrition stuff. You're you're developing animal diets. You're uh, uh, doing that kind of stuff. Where at you're developing your own training plans. You, you if you want to train a behavior, you can you can just do it. You know. Whereas a play a big place like Disney, there's there's a nutritionist, there's a behavior manager, there's your supervisor, there's your lead, oh there's a curator, God. and most and in most cases you've got to have them sign off not only on the behavior, how you're doing it, your training plan. Uh, the reinforcer that you're going to use. So sometimes before you you have an idea to do something and you have to wait six weeks to even get started. So that's just one of the, the toss-ups between working at a bigger zoo where you're going to get paid more versus at a smaller zoo where you mm -hmm. maybe have more freedom within your career to do a lot of the things that you, you know, want to do quickly. How were the politics? Because I think something that I found too venturing out and you know going to these zoos and speaking with keepers, it's just a lot of people don't realize there's a lot of politics when it comes to the job. I mean, how how was that? I mean, was the I mean, was the atmosphere good? How was the company it's, morale? I mean, I mean, I mean, it's very different and and it's very different at different organizations. I would say at the larger ones, maybe uh, probably a little bit less. Um, you know, at the larger zoos, you also have more people on teams. So, you know, more conflicting personalities, mm. uh, you know, there, there, there are, there are, unfortunately, so, so my feeling is that a, a job like zookeeping or teaching or, um, like in the medical profession anywhere, like these are jobs where you should really care about your job and really want to be there, you know, like, cause if you don't, you're going to, you're going to put out substandard work. You just are just the way it is. If you're not happy, you're going to do less good work. And just like every other field, there are people, there are people in this field that have been in it for a very long time and they've become, you know, less excited about doing you know, like you've done all this stuff before. You've taken care of an elephant for 30 years. It's not a thrill for you anymore. So there are people that have just done this forever and don't know how to really do anything else. So they're unhappy in the position. Animal care suffers. Uh, the team morale sometimes suffers. So just like any other workplace, there are conflicting personalities and, and stuff like that. It's just unfortunate in a setting like this. Sometimes it affects the, the, the whole goal of really why everyone got into this field, which is to make a difference. Uh, hopefully make a difference in the life of an animal. So, mm -hmm. And Matt, you had someone on your podcast, I cannot remember their name, but I love because at the end of your Zookeeper Story podcast, you always say, do you have a final message or any advice for someone who wants to pursue this field? And you had one guest say, be nice, be kind, don't gossip, just get along with everybody. And I thought, oh my God, that is the best advice I've ever heard. It really yeah, is. It's, it, it is because... I very, I, I, let me tell you this. I, this is, this is kind of a confessional, I guess. I, that, that is one of those things, do as I say, not as I do, because I am not <laughs> necessarily the best at it. And just like the people that I was just talking about, now I think that I still keep, have a very high level of animal care. Um, 
but there are situations where I just don't understand what some keepers are doing and it, and it makes me very upset. And I have, you know, I, I feel like it's any other walk of life where you're stressed out about something. You have to have people that you can vent to. So there are people that I work with that I trust that, that know where I, where, that I'm coming from a place of, 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 of concern for, the collection and not just, not just being an asshole. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so there, there, are, you have to have people like that in, in your life, uh, you know, that you can just be able to, okay, why is this? This sucks. This person sucks. The, uh, all of this is terrible. Why can't we fix this? Why can't we do better? That kind of thing, you know, and, and I am, I'm certainly guilty of, of unloading on, on, on friends and, and, and confidants like that before just, just to get frustration out. Cause sometimes you just don't, don't have the power to, to really change things. And it's, and it's, it's extremely frustrating. And, and, uh, and if you're not able to kind of, kind of internalize that or have that kind of outlet of people that you can, you can talk about those kinds of things with, it can manifest itself in, 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 in professional conversations. And zookeeping is a very kind of, uh, I don't want to say it's a casual job, but it's not like I'm wearing a tie to the office and, and have to like put on a face for everybody. It's we're outside, we're getting dirty with each other, that kind of thing. But at the same time, there's some level of professionalism and civility you have to show to your coworkers. So the less you can be involved in any kind of drama on the team, like the better for you. And and sometimes you just find yourself in it and have to kind of deal with it. Like at Disney, I was uh, I was I was this I was the one male on a team of. Uh, uh, 10 feet, 10 females. Oh <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and half of them loved you. Half of them didn't like the other half. And when I got oh. there, I was kind of like this linchpin, like, no, come hang out with us. No, come. <laughs> like, wait, dude, wait, I, I want to stay out of all of this. I, wait, I just you're having come... beers with Becky? Like, wait, I thought you wanted to hang out with me and Sarah. Like, this is so ridiculous. Like, this uh, is so funny. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so a lot of the people that you've heard on Zookeeper Stories are kind of those people for me that I can. That I know that I can go to when when I need yeah. to just yell and scream about something and and it's important it really is it's important for your mental health and there are people that that don't have that support staff at at at, at the zoo and you know that really comes out a lot uh, in terms of you know I, and you know public conversations and and interactions with guests and and that kind of thing and that's those are really the things you have to prevent and and it's really difficult in this job to really do anything if you burn bridges uh, I can testify for that <laughs> I'm, I'm a living example of that in some regards that you know I I I feel like my job is is to be a voice for the animals because they don't have a voice for their own and, and sometimes I maybe overstep my bounds in terms of speaking out about about things we could do better or whatever and that doesn't necessarily always work out for you so to be able to communicate those things in a very professional civil nice manner and to stay out of all the drama it really goes a long way to, to success in this industry see you're you're a lot better than me I had one normal job when I was 16 at a major pet store chain I won't say the name because it might be a sponsor one day <laughs> <laughs> They had this this horrible sick room in the back where they put all the sick and dying animals oh, when I was 16. And these animals are dying. And I got in trouble because I fed one of the White's tree frogs. I think I fed this frog maybe six crickets, and I was only supposed to feed it two. I mean, just oh, ridiculous man. stuff. And, wow. dude, I, I couldn't deal with it. I actually ended up um, quitting after two months. After Anyway, I was so mad at my manager. Um, I've never said this, but I made her cry. Not oh, yelling man. at her, but I just was like, <laughs> look at these. And I'm 16. Yeah, and she, yeah, anyway, yeah. I'm just, like, heartbreaking. These animals dying. Oh, and it's I'm heartbreaking. Reprimanded because this white tree frog, I can barely that even Or crickets that cost you two pennies, you know? Seriously. And I hated it. Oh, my God. I was – anyway, and I also had to deal with the public in that situation too. I remember – okay, side story, but I had someone um, – 
because I started doing media when I was 14. So I've been on the tonight show and stuff. And so sometimes when I was working at the pet store, I would get recognized and some guy recognized me from the tonight show and I was bagging up his crickets, which is fine. And he wanted 36 crickets. And anyway, I bag up the crickets and I'm telling you this pet store chain, Matt, it was like, you count every cricket. I'm telling <laughs> you what, and the guy's like, Oh, you're great on TV. This and that. But he's like, Hey, you didn't put 36 crickets in there. So oh I was, yeah, I was trained to say, okay, you know, oh, you're, you know, you're right, sir. Let me rebag. I got a little pin and I popped that bag. <laughs> I counted <laughs> each and every cricket and I had 38 crickets. I, I will, and I I will. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I was going to say, that is something that I've never done in 18 years is count individual crickets. I, I've never done that ever. Here's a handful. <laughs> Seriously, it was so ridiculous. Anyway, I don't even know why I told you. Anyway, that's yeah, it lasted only a couple months, but um, I <laughs> yeah, it's a difficult okay. spot, man. It's it's I don't know yeah. how anyone can just you know be in this field and and know that their their animals are suffering, whether it's because of you know a variety of reasons, but you know, and not 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 say something about it. And and I have a real problem with that. I. I I don't know. I'm like, I, I guess I'm like, kind of like, I feel like the Lorax sometimes, like, you know, he's the voice for the trees, uh, the truffle of trees or whatever. And, and I mean, that book inspired me when I was a kid. And, and I just, I just feel like somebody needs to say something because I feel like we can always do better and, and settling for, okay, this is just the way it is. Doesn't really, doesn't really work for me. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's awesome. And this is why you're in the field. Okay. So back on track. I don't, can't even believe we just, okay. So, we were so <laughs> but it's awesome. Uh, so you're at Woodland Park Zoo in Seattle, a beautiful zoo. I've been there. I, I actually love that zoo. I've only oh, I didn't there. even, I didn't even, we got so sidetracked. I didn't even say what I actually did after Disney. So while I was oh, poor, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, so while I was, no, 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 while I was poor like that, I actually went to go become a, a I had met my, my, my wife was actually a keeper at Disney and she was leaving to become a teacher. Um, and okay. I actually filled her position and she stayed on part-time and that's kind of how we met. Um, so she was leaving to become a teacher. I did that job for about three years. And like I said, what job? I, know, I was what job? At, at Disney, uh, the, the Pocahontas. Pocahontas? So I did that for about okay. three years and eventually was like, okay, I don't have any money anymore. I need to do something else and, and, and be able to support myself and pay off credit cards and that kind of thing. So I actually left that to be, become a science teacher at a high school um, in, in Orlando for about a year and a half. Uh, that was about all I lasted. <laughs> the first year was the first year, the, the first uh, semester, I actually joined halfway in the school year. So like the second semester. Um, and that was great because I got to teach zoology and ecology and stuff that I was really passionate about. And what then grades, uh, what this grades? was uh, 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 high school. So sophomore okay. through, see, I think I had some seniors. Um, okay. uh, but uh, the next year, the turnover rate was so high in that zoo, like uh, that zoo, uh, <laughs> the turnover rate of teachers in that particular school uh, was, was very high. So I was like already one of the most senior people at the, at the school after only being a teacher for one semester. And let me tell you, it takes a lot longer than one semester to learn to be a teacher. I was, yeah, I was going to say, that, and were, yeah, were, were you like, give me an idea. Were you a cool teacher? Did kids like you or were you like strict Mr. Pricer? Like I, I, I went the wrong way. I think, I think after my first semester, I learned that uh, it's better to be the mean guy and get respect first before being friends. And the first time I didn't want to be like the mean teacher. So, you know, I, I, I definitely got taken advantage of in certain situations, but you know, I think my kids did have fun and, and they learned things and, and okay. I taught in a in, in kind of an inner city school, and you know I, I was able to organize things like bringing you know 
snakes and stuff in the classroom, stuff these kids have never seen before, you know, uh, uh, things like that. So I do think that they had fun. But then the next, the next full year, I had to go to back to teaching um, like remedial physical science, basically a class that just uh, was for the kids to pass a, an exit exam for the school and oh. it was all like discipline and motivation and that's that's not really me like if you don't want to graduate high school i can't i can't really help you <laughs> so funny. after that i was like i got to get back to zookeeping like that's what i'm good at that's what i love so i actually had an old manager from disney that was at woodland park zoo and they needed a, a part-time kind of uh, they call it uh uh, I can't remember what the, what the name, temporary or, or as, I can't remember what the name is. So it's basically a part-time uh, as needed position on call kind of position. Um, and I got really, I got there doing, uh, but it was actually full-time for the summer. And so I got to work at the giraffe feed there, um, you know, bringing giraffe in. So I worked the Savannah and things like that in terms of normal zookeeper stuff, but they primarily hired me to, to run like the giraffe feed where people come up and pay a buck and get a, get a, a piece of browse to feed the giraffe, you know? Um, and it was great because I got to work with the animals and I got to talk to kids and people that were actually interested in, and feeding a giraffe and learning about them and talking about their crazy tongue and all that stuff. And it was, it was fantastic. Um, and then I got really lucky after that. And uh, I mean, lucky for me, not so lucky for the keeper. They they had a knee injury. And so I actually got to stay on full time, not just during the, the peak season, but through the full, full year. They had to have surgery and all that. And I got to uh, help raise a Malayan taper and, and what? Just, yeah, just incredible. So I got really lucky there. And then unfortunately, I mean, uh, I don't know how much you want to go much more. We want to go into the Woodland Park, please. But then, but yeah. uh, but after but after but after all this, it was great. And then all but then all of a sudden, uh, the budget crisis in two thousand nine happened, mm -hmm. and we actually closed the Nighthouse exhibit, which was one of my favorite exhibits in the zoo, honestly. But it was a very energy efficient building. But it was incredible. Like there's there. Uh, it's in most kind of nocturnal exhibits it's very hard to see anything like you walk in there and it's dark and you don't really see anything but there's something about the woodland park exhibit zoo nighthouse where you could see the tamandoas and the the eye eyes and the bush babies and uh, the tawny frog mouse and all of these it was just a fan i, I love that exhibit yeah so the budget crisis the zoo was in a big uh, financial not crisis we were fine but you know they had they really had to 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 be conservative financially so that exhibit was the most energy efficient one in the zoo so they just kind of shut it down so i again was one of the younger guys at the zoo. not young younger age wise but younger in terms of how long i had been at the zoo mm -hmm. um and so they needed a place for these full-time keepers to go so they kind of came over to where i was working and, and i my hours went to nothing again like and i was like oh god we're happening again it's san francisco all over again it's it's disney all over again i just can't i can't find a job where i can stay in a position and make a make a living wage you know so um, um unfortunately i had to leave there and come to my current position um but uh, if, if I if I could not could have stayed at the Woodland Park Zoo, that's where I would have wanted to stay for my whole career. I, really? I absolutely love that zoo. Like just the right, the perfect size. Uh, all the people are amazing. Um, the Northwest. I, I kind of always have felt like the Pacific Northwest is like where I'm supposed to be. Like I just love that area. Seattle is like the city is fantastic, and then you drive 20 minutes east, and you're in Snoqualmie National Forest. Like it's just an incredible spot. So I was very sad to leave there, but you know you have you have to pay the bills. So yeah, and, and something really quick because when I was listening to your podcast, creepy fan coming out, I remember you saying that you were able to work with the primates there, and mm -hmm. for some weird reason, I don't know why I've been obsessed with this. I've always been interested in like what it is like, like what would it be like taking care of the great apes, you know, the chimps, the orangs or the gorillas. What was that like? How was that behind the scenes? I know that you said that you didn't, <laughs> you had your fill and you were good. Yeah. So tell me like about a lot of people don't ever get to say they have taken care of these great apes. 
Yeah, it, I mean, they're don't get me wrong, they are incredible. It's just of course. Uh, I mean, there's there's a few things that that were not my favorite things. Like we talked about those gross parts of the job. Well, let me tell you, cleaning up after a 43 year old male silverback gray, uh, gorilla that has explosive diarrhea every single day that's oh not God. fun. That is not not fun. Let me tell you that <laughs> it's too close to cleaning up after humans. And I I take care of animals, not humans. That's why I'm not a, a doctor or a nurse <laughs> yeah. or, or whatever. Or an or, or, yeah. Or an yeah, exactly. So uh, a little bit too close there. Um, and they're just so freaking smart. I mean, I have, I have a million stories about ridiculously intelligent things they did. Uh, we had a, a, a keeper, a keeper friend of mine. Uh, I don't think I was actually there that day. So this is a secondhand story. Um, but she, we had the lion tail macaques there and lion tail macaques are, they, they carry a, a very dangerous, uh, uh, virus called herpes B. Um, uh, uh, and it's uh, it's not good for humans. It, it can kill you if you if, if even like some urine or, or spit or anything gets into like an open wound or your eye or whatever. So you have to get fully decked out in Tyvek suits, face shields, gloves, uh, basically protected head to toe um, to prevent yourself from you know contracting this this virus uh, uh, while working with these guys, whether it's just cleaning or interacting them with them, whatever. So anyway, so she's fully decked out in her all of her her protective gear, goes in there and is like scrubbing the outside of a bar or something uh, of the mesh and one of the LTMs they grab the glove and pull it off and stuff it in their mouth <gasps> and she's like freaking out because it's like chewing on this rub this latex rubber glove and uh, just like oh you freaking monkey give me my glove back and please don't choke and die luckily <gasps> luckily uh, the one of the first things you, you generally train primates is is as a trade behavior so things fall into the exhibit that they're not supposed to have or, you know, like uh, people throw their maps in there or, or sunglasses fall in or whatever and the monkeys are going to mess with it. So you need a way to get these items out of here because in most cases you're not going into a, to a primate exhibit. Now there are exceptions of course, but for the most part you're not going into these exhibits well with, with the animals without a uh, uh, protected context. So, um, so, so in this case uh, this, she, she wanted to find out how many, how many pieces of food they had to give this LTM to get this glove back. So he didn't swallow it. So she just keeps feeding it banana pieces and banana pieces and banana pieces or grapes or whatever it is uh, until it finally her the cheeks like pull up, pop <laughs> off immediately. And she's like, okay, fine. I ha if I want to put another grape or whatever it was in there, I've got to get rid of this glove. And it gives the glove back and trades the glove for that last piece of thing. I don't remember how many it was, but it was, it was a lot. Her cheeks were all puffed up. So like things like that. Uh, and, and, and the great apes, like the orangutans, like they're like you're, when you're looking at a lot of animals, like a hoofstock animal. Now I'm not saying hoofstock animals are dumb. They're certainly not dumb. They're intelligent in their own ways. But when you're looking at a hoofstock animal, you can generally tell looking at its eyes, you know, uh, like it, it, what, what it's going to do behavior wise, if uh, there's a way of reading its body language and there is with great apes too, but there's just something about, uh, when you're looking at hoofstock, you feel comfortable that they're not planning something or thinking these like really advanced thoughts or anything like that. But when you look into the eyes of a gorilla or an orangutan, you can, they look back at you and you can just like, you can just see like they're problem solving, they're, they're figuring things out. They're, they're, they're emotional. They're, 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 they, they want something from you. They want attention from you. They want you to go away. They want, they want something, you know, and, and being able to, to look in those eyes and see that there's something like, I mean, like really intelligent looking back at you. Like for me, it was, it was, a, it was a little bit difficult like that. Those, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that 
we shouldn't have things like gorillas and orangs in, in zoos because we certainly should. You know, it's one of the last places they can be. We need them to educate the public. All these, all these mm -hmm. very good reasons for doing so. But uh, sometimes very difficult to be able to see something, you know, that intelligent, something that that maybe could have a better life somewhere else if if a better life existed for them somewhere else. Because because in most cases it doesn't. There's no wild anymore. So, um, but to be able to to work with something like that that you know is you know feeling probably similar emotions to what you are and thinking about things like you're thinking them. Um, is, 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 is kind of difficult for me. So, um, that, that's one of the main reasons why I, I, I think that I'm done with, with great apes. I love them. Uh, but, but, uh, that kind of factor is like kind of, kind of just too much for my, for my, uh, uh, I don't know, psyche, I guess. Were you ever terrified? I mean, being in like working with the great, I'm not terrified, but just, I mean, that's a huge, no, animal. no, because, Ever? you know, Oh, actually, you know what? I take it back. I have one, I do have one story with a great ape that I was just terrified of. So, um, I'm trying to remember how it worked. I know the fact, I know we had, uh, two separate troops of gorillas. Um, uh, one with a very old male silverback and a bunch of older females and then a young, a younger side. Oh, wait, is that how it was? I think it's, yeah, I think that's how, how, oh no, it was a, maybe it was a small, anyway, it was two separate groups, whether one was a bachelor herd and one was a family group. I can't remember what it was. Um, but anyway, so there was this really, uh, uh, sick male silverback from, I can't remember where another zoo, I think it's a zoo in Canada somewhere, um, had this really weird rash on its hands, uh, but a fully grown adult male silverback. And generally, fully grown adult male silverbacks do not play nice with other fully grown male adult silverbacks, right? So we're trying, we're in the process of kind of making a new group for him. Um, so he's kind of trying to eventually, kind of getting uh, introduced to these different females. We're trying to split up the older group and, and situate them in, with, with personality groups that get along and that kind of thing. Um, anyway, so so he was kind of like, he kind of lived in, this, in, in a couple of rooms by himself when he wasn't out in the yard and had yard time. And uh, one day he, I mean, gorillas, I don't know if you've ever seen them move, but when they move, it's it's impressive. Like they're standing still one second and they're moving a hundred miles an hour and are right next to you. Uh, before you know it. <laughs> I've, never so, it, I've never seen it in person. Uh, like the way they, the way they, the way they move is like they're so they're so powerful. It's it's oh, unbelievable. Man. So anyway, there. I don't know what I did. I was I never really would call myself a great great ape keeper uh, uh, necessarily. Um, so you know, I, I did, probably didn't have all the body language down or whatever it was. You know, I was trying to trying to give him some medication. He was on the far side of the far side of the the enclosure, and I was at the mesh. You know, trying to you know offer him whatever fruit it was, uh, to come over. And so I could medicate his hands. Right. So, uh, he didn't like whatever I did, whether it was, I looked at him wrong or, or whatever it was. And he just charged the mesh and like, just oh, charged sure. it and like slammed into this thing. And I know it's secure. I know it's secure, but like, you could see like the little rivets, like around the edges of the mesh, like kind of like vibrate. Uh, so that was, that was absolutely terrifying. <laughs> oh my God. And it, like you said, it happened so fast. I would have jumped back. <laughs> and we had, and th this one isn't necessarily a, a like something I was terrified of, but the male orang orangutan also, uh, you had to make sure that the, the sticks that were in with him were only certain lengths because he would he would take spear uh, take sticks and fashion them into spears and like throw them at new keepers and like he could sometimes like fit them through like the two by two mesh you know like it's just it's incredible so just God, like it's like it's, I had no idea yeah, I man, so I had no idea. They're so freaking smart and so powerful. Like they're 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 incredible animals. They really are.
they really okay so i asked my buddy matt this too and this was not on the podcast but in a separate conversation over over a beer but um if you out of all the three great apes if you could be stuck in an enclosure which one would be the worst starting from the <laughs> no i'm serious oh, and, I, and then i'll let you know what what he said but just i i was surprised by his answer so we're for talking me, chimps gorillas yeah. and orangs yeah what would me, be the worst sorry chimps easily easily chimps the worst e easily the worst, worst. yeah yeah, I've never even worked chimps, but I, I've heard stories of, of working with chimps, and, and there's no way. Not not ever. <laughs> not yeah, ever I would I be in an exhibit with a chimpanzee. Yeah, they, he said that they would go out. Like, another keeper chimed in who had worked with chimps and said that their first instinct with the males would be go after – like, they would go after your uh, genitals, basically. Yes, yes, absolutely. 100%. They rip off your face, and they rip off your, your genitalia. <laughs> so – uh, that's terrifying. Because <laughs> okay, so that you know why that is, right? It's because if, of course if they know that you're a male, so they tear that off, and now you're no longer a threat to their to their troop, right? Oh, so, of course, can't spread yeah. the genetics. Oh yeah, right. yeah. I mean, you're yeah. not going to be doing yeah. much procreation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then what is your second? So now we're left with uh, gorillas or orangs. God, that's a, such a hard one. I feel like I feel like it would be. I feel like it would be. So wait, am I going the next scariest? Scariest. The next scariest, yeah. the next scariest one, I think I would probably say orangutans. That's what he said. Because I but feel like gorillas. So I feel like gorillas. They are peaceful, but there's. I mean, all great apes and, and most primates are intelligent, but like there's just something about orangs. Like they they know what's going on. Like they're they're just. I don't. I don't know how to say it other than they're just so so smart. Um, whereas, and, and for me, I feel like kind of unpredictable. Like I feel pretty. I mean, I've only worked with gray apes for about a year and a half. So, and off and on through that. So, not even really a full year and a half. So, but in that time, you know, I kind of felt like I learned to read gorilla body language in a way that I could, I could predict when they were really pissed off at me and 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 were gonna either charge or mock charge or whatever it was. I even, I even got pretty good at at figuring out what the difference was between a charge and a mock charge. Um, mm. So, uh, like, I just felt like, at least for me personally, like, I could kind of predict what they were going to do a little bit better. And maybe that would give me a little bit better chance of survival as opposed to an orangutan, which probably is making, like, a catapult or something and <laughs> up, in, up in the tree. Oh, my God. That's interesting. That's and funny they, that we matched. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, gorillas would be last, which is shocking. I'm sorry. When I, you know, when I go to a zoo and see the orangs and they're out there and, you know, and they're just hanging out or just yeah. normally sleeping underneath a blanket, you would never think. Anyway, okay. So we'll get back on to more serious discussions. I was just curious <laughs> to see. What I didn't know where we're going with that because my friends like to do the thing where, where they'll go like, well, what if a tiger and a grizzly bear fought? Who would win? I thought we might oh, be no. going, going there. <laughs> no, but what are your thoughts? No, I'm kidding. I, uh, I won't do that. That's funny. Okay. Okay. So yeah, let's seriously get back on track. Okay. So you're at the Woodland Park Zoo and then you end up landing a job at one of the most famous zoos in the world in the Southwest. Um, wh where do you start department wise? So I, I am in the same department that I, that I uh, started on. I, I, I kind of stayed at home. Okay. Um, I'm here and I, I can work with anything from it's, it's in the mammal department, but there are different uh, uh, divisions within the mammal department too, different teams or what have you. Um, and I work on a team that includes uh, includes the elephants, but I don't generally work elephants. I uh, haven't worked, never worked them. Um, so, but they are part of our team. Um, but then every other animal in the area that I, I've worked, I, I work, can work at any point during the day. I'm, I'm kind of like a, uh, I, I kind of like a, I don't know I wouldn't call a swing keeper or relief keeper but I, I'm I'm one of the few people that are trained in every single so we call groupings of animals at zoo strings those are the animals that you're responsible for the day so I'm trained on every string uh, in the area 
Um, so I, I basically go where there's a need. So any given day, I could be working with polar bears or lions and jaguars or uh, mountain lions or uh, you know a variety of African hoofstock, gazelles, antelope, uh, lesser kudu, grevy zebra, giant eland. Um, we also have uh, an area on our team where we kind of we do the quarantine or treatment of, of sick animals or, or areas where uh, areas where they go. Uh, if they're going to be sent out of the zoo to go somewhere else or where they would come come when they when they enter the zoo, whether we send them out for breeding purposes or, or what have you or trading the animals with the zoos and that kind of thing. So um, very, very large variety in my area. So hoofstock or, you know, I could be working with, with the smallest uh, antelope. We have we have a royal antelope. I think we have the only breeding pair left in the country. Okay. Um, which are these that they're like, I don't even know how to, they're, they're tiny. Go look up Royal Antelope. They're like, there's, they're, 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 when we, when we had to bottle raise one, we actually had to develop a, like a special, uh, a dropper to, to feed, to feed, uh, feed the, to nurse the baby because their, their mouths are so ridiculously small. So I could be working with some, the smallest thing like that one day to a polar bear that weighs 1300 pounds the next day. So like pretty much every, everything you could possibly want on in this team area. Um, no primates, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, you're fine. Yeah, you, you've had your primate fix. Um, that is so crazy. That is, okay, so tell me what it, I, okay, so by the way, I, when I was in middle school, when we had like tech class and stuff, your zoo was one of the first zoos in the country that put out a polar bear cam. And so I am yep. not kidding you at 12 or 13 years old. I am not kidding you. This is how much of a zoo nerd I was. I would just watch the cam and I'd never see anything. And it was so bad in technology back. That was back yeah. in 2002, 2003. So, but it was so cool to be like, Oh my gosh, like they could come any minute. I never saw a polar bear. You know, I, <laughs> well, that's too bad. Know, they're better these days. Uh, we actually have a full like volunteer staff that runs those cameras now where okay. their job is to, to keep them on the bears. Uh, uh, you know, most, most times of the day, if there's no one there and they point it at a certain position and you might not see anything, but for the most part of the day, they have a shift where they're following the bears around. So yeah, definitely. Okay now but yeah that's a really fun thing uh we we incorporate that in our keeper talks a lot like you know we'll have a we'll have a kid that you know feels like they really made a, a connection with one of the bears and they're like oh i wish i could see it like go online and you can watch them from well i've had i've had teachers write me that say you know we watch the polar bear cam every day at whatever time uh so it's it's yeah it's, that's a great great innovation so matt what is it like taking care of the largest land predator i mean what is that like i mean you I, do you're like one of the only people in the nation that get to do this and you know there's a polar bear shortage i just talked to my friend from yeah. SeaWorld. we can get into that later yeah, but i'm yeah. just what is it like it's it uh, i it's it's my dream job like if i could do that every day that that's all i need for the rest of my life it's they're just uh, i just love them they're they each have their own personalities. Uh, you know, they're not necessarily just these big, mean predators. Our, our male is just this big goof that uh, he, he's, he's the, I'm pretty sure he's the biggest polar bear in zoos, at least in the United States. Uh, but he is like the most gentle animal. Um, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to describe it. They're just like, they're, they're, they're a lot of the job, again, like I talked about earlier, is stimulating the mental side of them, giving them things to do because these big, these big, uh, these big uh, bears, you know, when they're out on the ice, they're wandering around looking for seals. They're, they cover huge, huge territories, you know, looking for mates or food or what have you. So in, in, a, in, a, in a zoo setting, you really need to be able to provide mentally stimulate 
them, you know, with, with enrichment items, whether it's puzzle feeders or, or different scents that they've never smelled before or, or carcass feedings or, uh, you know, uh, putting fish in the pool for them to hunt and, and, and things like that. I, I, polar bears don't hunt fish necessarily in the wild, but they, they do sometimes in the, in the zoo. Um, but, you know, just finding ways to, to, to really kind of make their lives better and not just, uh, uh, not just, okay, food, I've eaten my food for 30 seconds and now what do I do for the rest of the day kind mm -hmm. of thing. So it, it's very challenging as a keeper to be able to kind of, kind of problem solve. Why is the animal doing this and what can I do to, to make it do something else, like a naturalistic behavior? And mind you, your exhibit is one of the, probably one of the best in the country. It's, it's, it's pretty beautiful. cool. It's pretty cool. It did, uh, we had we renovated it. Uh, oh, you did? We renovated it, I think, seven years ago. It was first built in 96, uh, I think, and then it was re renovated in 2010, I believe. Uh, but there are starting to be some really incredible polar bear exhibits around the country. Yes, right yes. Okay, I'm sorry I'm getting excited. No, because please. I'm excited. So my fiance is from Detroit, and so mm -hmm. we always went to the, um, the uh, Detroit Zoo, and it was never a zoo I ever heard of. I never thought in a million years I would be going to the Detroit Zoo, but they have one of the best polar bear habitats yeah. I've ever seen. Have you yeah. been there? Uh, I haven't, but uh, rest in peace. I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Elsa Polson. She was uh, uh, she wrote a book called Smiling Bears, um, and uh, she was a keeper there and was really like one of she she ran a, an organization called Advancing Bear uh, Advancing Bear Care um, that mm -hmm. still exists and, and and one of my favorite organizations. Um, but uh, uh, she was a keeper there and wrote about a book about her experience with polar bears there uh, and like very inspiring. So like, I've always wanted to go, I've never made it, but I've heard that new exhibit is incredible. Um, so yeah, if you're interested in polar bears, please go check out those books, uh, Smiling Bear by Elsa Polson. Okay, awesome. I definitely will. Yeah, it's a beautiful exhibit. The only thing I have to say is I've never seen them in the water. Do you have that issue really? with polar bears? I've never seen them yeah. in the water. No, we don't. Uh, I mean, you know, guests come by and ask like, when's the best time to see a bear in the water? And you can't really okay. give them an answer. Um, I read an article several years ago that said that zoo guests spend an average of about six seconds per zoo exhibit. And if you're <laughs> you're walking by a zoo exhibit and saying, "Hey, look, I don't see a bear," and then leaving, I mean, you've got to you've got to spend some invest some time there. You know, like uh, it, it's it's impossible to determine. You know, sometimes they come out in the morning and are are, are active and want to play and are jumping in the pool. Other times they're 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 sleeping until noon and then are active all afternoon. You know, it's mm -hmm. it, you really have to go there and kind of spend some time. It's it it's easier if uh, one thing I like to tell people if you have a local zoo uh, buy a membership because be, having the ability to go to the zoo and be like okay I'm gonna spend an hour at the zoo and not feel like you have to see everything go and sit in front of one exhibit go sit in the grill in front of the grill exhibit for an hour go sit in front of the polar exhibit for an hour and the things that you see will be amazing like you'll see them actually you know I mean if unless they're sleeping for that hour you might you might sometimes run into <laughs> don't go to the lions yeah <laughs> like we screwed <laughs> yeah if you, if you go see an animal sleeps 21 hours a day, you're, that, that's, yeah. Um, but you know, you just got to spend some time in front of an exhibit and 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 wait for things to happen because they, they will. You know, maybe not every time, but if like, but if you have a membership, you don't have to feel like you have to see everything in one day and feel like you go to an exhibit. Okay, I got to go, or I'm not going to see the rest of the zoo. So that's one of the cheaper. best. It's yeah, cheaper. a lot cheaper too. And and 
you know, it's just, it's a, it's a great, it, it helps the zoo and, and you get to feel like you don't have to see everything at, at one time. So when I go to zoos, by the way, don't ever go to a zoo with me if you're not a zoo fan. Cause I'm one of those <laughs> that I go all day. You and I could oh, probably, yeah. probably oh, be yeah. pretty good at the zoo. We would just like hang out like when it opens and I just, I love talking and, but it's really cool. Cause if you stay at those exhibits, you'll more than likely talk to an interpreter or a volunteer yeah. who will give you more information or even a keeper coming out of a door. I don't know. I just think it's good. You could, mingle and learn more about the animal that way oh oh for sure and you know get and if there's one thing that 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 keepers like doing other than you know taking care of our animals is talking to people about our animals so you know if you find a keeper and then they're not you know we are very busy at our job uh yes. but you know most most of most times we don't mind taking a five minutes or so out of our day and, and chatting with guests about really really whatever you want to talk about so and it's probably like probably kind of refreshing for you, especially if you get some guests who are, you know, I don't know, just not really into it or kind of stinkers. But then you get some who are like really like interested. Oh, yeah. probably really those, refreshing. Are, those are the best days when you get a guest that's really interested in something or are the days where you're really you really feel like you're able to connect a kid with with an animal. And, and, and I mean, that's I feel like that's how. That's how we change the perception of of not only zoos but you know animals and environment in general is to get those kids like inspired early on and get them to care about something. It's it's, it's really hard to care about something that you can't see or touch or interact with, and and getting them those kind of experiences, you know, I think goes a long way. So I I, I generally take every opportunity to try to do that. I had a had a, a family from Australia. Um, I think it was a, I can't remember a few years ago at some point when I was at the current zoo and uh, they, they traveled all the way to us from Australia because they really wanted to see an Arctic fox and the Arctic fox, <laughs> our Arctic foxes in the summer, they're in the bedrooms where it's air conditioned. It's just the way it is. Yeah. It's just the way yeah. it is. And Arctic foxes are, are, are a little bit different than the polar bears in the way they, they maintain their heat absorption. You know, polar bears, you can manipulate their diet and the fact the way that they don't build up a really thick insulative layer of fat and can remain uh, you know, relatively comfortable in, in warmer climates, but foxes, they have, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's the densest or one of the most dense furs of any animal in the world. So when they That's grow- That's actually wrong. Uh -oh. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. It's something like it might be otters. It might. It might be. Matt, I don't, no, I that's remember. true, man. Go ahead. Go uh, with it. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so they're they're hot. They want to be yeah. in the bedroom, right, where it's air conditioned. So you know, I did. So they told me that, and then you know, it's like really sad. Like that, this girl, like she really wants to see an Arctic fox. She says she's gonna pack up, and she's her mom told me a story that was like she told me that if I don't take her to go see an Arctic fox, she's going to pack her suitcase and go to the Arctic and see an Arctic fox. So I I I. I I really wanted to take it upon myself to do my best to, you know, get her to at least see an Arctic fox. And, you know, we can't press a button on a machine and make our animals go out and do something for you. And, and again, like I said earlier, this is their home. We don't want to force them to do anything they don't necessarily want to do. But what we can do is, you know, walk out and and uh, offer some enrichment out there or some kind of novel item, food item, whatever it is, uh, and hopefully encourage the animal to come out. In this case, you know, the uh, Ivan the Arctic fox came out and, and the girl got to see her, her fox and she was super happy. And like, you know, she's going to take that with her like it maybe not her whole life, but you know, at least throughout her young life. And I feel like those kind of experiences are, are really important. And, and one of the real reasons why zoos, you know, should exist in, in, in this day and age. Yeah. I think that's such a good story. That's such a good story. I'm so happy he came out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was too. Cause I, I don't know how I was going to say, sorry, little girl. I can't, the Fox is, just doesn't want to see you, you know, yeah. <laughs> that would have been heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, really quick, and I know, I know we've, oh my gosh, we're almost an hour and a half into this, but really quick, have you seen a difference regarding with the bear species? Have you worked with grizzlies, the polar bears, the black bears? Is there a difference in their behavior, husbandry or, or anything oh, like abso that? Absolutely. Uh, really? I work with, I work with every species of bear except for, uh, pandas. And I, I guess I can't really say I worked with Asiatic black bears. I work with them like a couple of days, basically. Um, but, but basically seven of the eight bear species. Um, and, and, and yeah, vastly different, uh, um, polar bears are, you know, the most specialized of any of the bears, uh, black bears and brown bears are, are, are you know, similar ish, I guess you could say, but they have, but they just, they do different things. They want different things. Sun bears and, 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 and spectacle bear, or sorry, we call them, uh, Andean bears now. Um, oh, really? sun, bears, sun bears, Andean bears, um, sloth bears, especially very different kind of, kind of animals. Like sloth bears have these amazing suction ability to go up to a, a tree and like suck out a bunch of grubs or insects or go to a termite mine and, and just use this vacuum power. Um, and I never got to see it cause I haven't been back to the zoo since I left Seattle, but they built a, a really awesome sun bear exhibit or sorry, sloth bear exhibit there where they inc incorporated these vacuum feeding tubes where they put bugs and stuff in them and the bears have to go up and do their natural behavior of, of, of basically vacuuming out these bugs with their mouth. So um, very, very different uh, in, in many aspects of the husbandry. husbandry in terms of like training and stuff, training, you know, most animals are similar in terms of, in terms of training. So not so much different there, but, but different ways of, of, of doing things. And even within, even within, within species, like, like the three polar bears, they all respond to different training techniques, different ways. You know, they all have their, their favorite reinforcers and things like that. So bears to me, they're just, I don't know what it is. I just love them. They're, I, I'm not really, a, I, I like cats. Don't get me wrong. I like lions and jags and all that stuff, but I'm really more of like kind of a, a dog person at heart and bears while they're not dogs, they're a lot closer to dogs in my opinion than, than cats are. Um, so, uh, uh, they're just, they, their personalities there are, they're all individual. They, I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to say it. They're just like, they're, 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 they're very curious. They're inquisitive. They're exploratory. Um, it's, you can, you can give them a puzzle and they're going to want to solve it. They don't want to just eat and be done with it. Like we're a, uh, generally not, not all, not all. This is a very blanket statement I know, but in general, carn uh, a big cats, they want their meal and then they want to go to sleep. Right. Um, mm -hmm. whereas a bear, like they want to do stuff. They want to want to play with stuff. There's a very, there's very famous videos on YouTube. You can see uh, of our male polar bear Kaluk going in. And, uh, you know, dribbling uh, balls like big, big boomer balls, these big plastic balls underwater, like a basketball, you know, like, like they, they take everyday objects like that and, and make them games. And it's your job to kind of figure out how to, how to build these really cool things for them to be able to go and explore their habitat uh, and, and use their mind to, to, to be able to, you know, to, to do things, not just be able to hand food to them. And, and then the day is done, you know, they need, they need more than that. That's interesting. I never even never even thought of it. I mean, obviously, I'm not a, a bear keeper. Is there one species, and I, and I know it's hard because you can't really measure intelligence because what are you going to compare it to, but is there one species you found maybe more intelligent or more inquisitive? I mean, is that a hard uh, question? No, nah, that's kind of hard. Uh, I don't know intelligence-wise. Uh, we we do some amazing training with uh, with our bears. Our, our One of our female-built polaris, we can actually ultrasound while she's awake. We've trained her to flop over on her on her belly for us and we're allowed, we, we, we can, we can basically have her accept an ultrasound while that, but I have also have bear other, other species of bears that aren't polar bears that accept hand injections and uh, blood draws and things like that. Uh, again, while they're awake. So um, I don't know, intelligence level is kind of hard in terms of like their curiosity inquisitiveness, like, you know, um, it's hard to say really, but 
like sun bears are really good at puzzles, really good at puzzle solving. Uh, uh, sloth bears are good at uh, you know tearing things up. Grizzly bears are are good at almost anything. <laughs> yeah. uh, polar bears are very you know they're incredible swimmers. Uh, um, so you know they they all have their different traits that they're things that they're good at in terms of like intelligence level. Though that that part's kind of hard to say. I, I would say that that's more maybe on an individual level necessarily than like maybe a, a species level. All right, Matt, you have literally said it all. You've worked all over the country. I, I can't even, oh my gosh, San Francisco, the museum, which the name I don't even remember again, <laughs> Curiosity, the Animal Kingdom, you went up to Woodland Park, and now you're at one of the most famous zoos in the country. Is there anything else that you want to say for any aspiring keepers or any last minute thoughts? I feel like I've said this a million times, but seriously, go, go. If you want to be a keeper, go volunteer and see if you like it. And if you still like it, then just go for it. You know, like you have to be determined. You have to really want it. You have to, it's going to be blood, sweat and tears. You're not going to make a million bucks. You're, uh, but you know, if you are passionate about animals and, and working with animals, then just keep at it and it's going to happen for you. I have never met a single person uh, that really, really wanted to do this. I mean, like really wanted to do this, not just, you know, I want to go take pictures with animals all day, but for someone that really wanted to do this, not make it at some point, you know, your path might be very difficult. It might be long, but, but, but this industry needs hardworking, dedicated people like, like no tomorrow. Like we need those people. We need fresh blood in this industry and there's a million ways to do it. You could go to more park college, uh, east of LA and go to an actual zookeeping school. There's another one in Florida, uh, called uh, Santa Fe teaching zoo. You can go that route if you won't, don't want to go get a four degree four year degree first, but you know, just, just, just keep at it, man. And, and, and there is always someone out there like Corbin and myself that are, are willing to, 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 you know, for you to bounce ideas off or, or whatever. So never feel like you're asking a dumb question. You know, if you, if you need help with something, reach out to somebody that knows because they're out there. Uh, so volunteer and and if you love it, just just go for it and, and keep at it because listen to zookeeper stories. You'll hear all the people that, that <laughs> went for it and, and, uh, and, and how they got there. And, and your path might be completely different than theirs, but if you want it, you'll get there. That's good. And like I said, once again, please, seriously, if you're interested, your podcast is phenomenal. That's how I found you. That's how you're on my podcast, Animals to the Max. So thank you so much. Um, last question. Do you see yourself staying at this position or are you open to just wherever life takes you? Yeah, it's it's hard. Uh I'm at the point in my in my field where I'm and I'm getting older. I'm full disclosure. I'm 39 years old. <laughs> I'm gonna be the big 4-0 next year. Uh uh, so um you know, I'm at the point in my career where it's time to decide if I want to move up into the management aspect of the field or not. I've never really had that desire before because in this industry, the farther you get up the, the food chain, so to speak, you the farther away you get away from the animals, which is why you're doing this job presumably in the first place. But, you know, as I get older, I see the opportunities to kind of maybe affects change on a larger scale. You know, right now I can control what I do with the animals that I'm working for this day, but maybe in a management role, I can do something like affect change in the entire zoo and kind of change the way way we do things at a zoo for the better so um that's that's something that I'm, I'm struggling with right now um so that might be the next path but i could be totally happy doing what i'm doing right now for the rest of my life and, and be fine with that so um yeah so that's where i'm at that's awesome thanks so much yeah and, and thanks you so much corbin for having me on this this show is fantastic i'm so glad to to be able to have another person you know doing this because I, I kind of felt alone for for a little while it's always <laughs> nice to have some camaraderie and, and talk to somebody you know as ridiculously passionate as as you are about animals and and be able to be able to talk to somebody that understands you know what i mean so uh yeah thank you so much for having me on it, it was a blast
Thank you so much. And I'm so happy to be on your show. So you keep your stories. Can't wait. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Thanks a lot, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. Please make sure to hit subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps me out. I also encourage you to check out CorbinMaxi.com. You can contact me there personally, even suggest a podcast guest, or if you just want to learn more about animals.